In this week's episode, I'm joined by Catherine Montgomery, the founder and CEO of the social impact-focused communications agency, Better Together. This week, our conversation is about Uncle Nearest Whiskey, Starbucks' new accessible store, Florida's Black churches, and more. Hey there, my name is Bernadette Smith. Welcome to Five Things in 15 Minutes, my weekly show where I bring good vibes to DEI. That is good vibes to diversity, equity, and inclusion with a little dash of corporate social responsibility. What I've found is that there are lots of news stories about what's going wrong in the world and lots of negative data, but there are also a lot of things going right. That's what I like to focus on. I search for DEI stories that we can be inspired by and learn from. My hope is to inspire you to experiment with some of these inclusive actions and policies within your own organization to help you build a more inclusive world. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I am so excited to have you as well. All right. So Catherine, tell folks a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. So I'm in DC. And like you mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of Better Together. And what we do is we work with organizations and companies that want to make the world a better place. So we are full service communications agencies. So from public relations to media relations, uh, creative, videography, photography, whatever is needed. Um, we do it for organizations, but whatever our role is, we must be making the world a better place. I love it. I love it. So can you talk a little bit about maybe like a, a, a mini case study or a, maybe an example of something you're working on right now? Of course, of course. So one of our clients uh, actually read Rabbit. Uh, they were actually featured in Axios DC last week. And they bring culturally relevant food to uh, cafeterias at public and charter schools. So uh, your kid might go to school and get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with a carton of milk. You know, we were all there with the rectangle pizza. But what about seeing things that, you know, you might see at home, but others might not? So chain of masala, different dishes like that, that, you know, aren't normal to every student. And the chefs are trained to talk about why they're important. What about the history of the dish? If, you know, a student says, you know, what is this? Where did it come from? The chefs can say, this is from here. This is why it's important. This is what you should know about it. And it's not unusual to see those types of foods in classrooms. So they also use local art to, you know, reconfigure the cafeteria. So they're not just, you know, the blank walls that are typical. And they've done this in New York and Philly, and they're bringing it to D.C. Uh, public schools. And so we're helping them become well-known in the area uh, so that they can expand their reach. So we love those types. That type of work is so different, something you wouldn't even think about. Um, and we're really excited to partner with them. Sounds like you could be a future source of five things stories, Catherine, because that is like such a great example of how art and food and culture all coming together in a school setting and affecting people who are open to learning. It's awesome. I love it. Very, very cool. Well, in this week's newsletter, I promise the readers that you're going to help answer some questions for folks because I think that there's a lot going on in the world right now and people are really struggling on how to effectively communicate. Uh, companies are, organizations are. 
especially when, uh, you know, there are topics like war, racism, anti-LGBTQ legislation. What's your advice for organizations looking to communicate with substance, both to internal and external stakeholders? Right. I actually have a client going through this type of situation, and I would say you need to have a stance first off, Mm -hmm. and you can't just uh, say a lot of things and not be able to back it up with authentic, genuine action. And there's so many organizations that, you know, something happens in the world, they donate money, they check a box, they move on, and uh, generations are no longer allowing them to do that. They're going to hold them accountable. And so before you put out a statement, before you say, you know, our hearts are out for, you know, everyone affected, uh, make sure that you've, you know, previously acted upon these types of causes and that afterward you're going to positively impact them as well. So just not a lot of talk, got to put some action behind it. Mm, And it sounds like there has to be kind of an alignment as well. Exactly. That's what people are looking for. Interesting. Okay. And is that how they kind of avoid performativity is to put some action behind it? Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, the alignment piece is really important. So if you have action, you know, you start to help communities or whatever the situation is, unless you've done it before and unless you, people can see right through, um, you know, performative action. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has to be something where you are, it's long-term, it's a plan, it takes time to take, you know, make change. It's not something you can do one-off. Uh, you actually have to have been doing it and you have to keep doing it. And then people will actually believe that you're doing it. But if you're doing it for social media, for your you know likes and images and comments, uh, people see right through that and it just won't work. Mm. That makes sense. So, you know, there are so many things going on. How do companies decide what, how would you recommend they think through what topics to take on, what to speak out about? Yeah, so companies need to know their mission and their vision. So if something happens with a war or, you know, IVF, but you're focused Mm. on uh, world hunger, then maybe you don't need to respond on everything. So um, Mm. if you're focused on women's health and IVF situation comes up, then you should respond. Uh, That's your core mission, your core value, whatever your stance is on it. Um, So you have to know what it is that you're fighting for so that you know when you need to take a stance, when you need to, you know, write a statement, take action, show that you're supporting which whatever cause it is. But it's impossible to respond to everything. And so that's where companies can get in trouble is that they try to respond to everything and then they miss something and their employees are upset, their external stakeholders are upset. But if their stakeholders, their employees, they know what their stance is, they know what their mission, their vision is, they know what they're going to respond to, then they'll be expecting it And when it's something relevant, and they won't be expecting it when it's something that's not relevant to the mission. Okay, that makes sense. So I think it's, so the idea is not to not to try to be shallow with a lot of topics, but try to go deep with a few and be aligned with a few with action when those particular topics are directly related to the mission, vision, values kind of thing. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, there are language changes, terminology changes. How would you recommend that organizations get it right and not make any mis- well they should hire you of course that's obvious that's the obvious answer but how would you recommend they think about getting it right built in terms of the language 
Yeah, you know, I am learning every day as well. I just took a course on inclusive language and what language is changing to. And, you know, it's not marginalized groups, you know, it's uh, under supported groups. Like there's, you know, it's changing every day. And so I think it's just really important to stay in the know and to just learn as much as you can. There is no true answer, but always check before you just put something out and be aware. It's, mm. it's just being aware of what you're saying. Uh, searching, asking, reaching out to those who are in the industry and know what language is appropriate. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we just think it's okay to put something out there and we think we know, but it's changing so fast. So we just have to wait and take a step back and be patient and think about what we're saying. But yeah, there's, there's lots of webinars out there. There are lots of opportunities to stay up to date on the latest language. Um, Again, be aware <laughs> and have somebody, else, have somebody else read your work before you put it out there. Awesome. Well, that's great advice. Thank you so much for bringing your wisdom to our listeners and to our viewers. All right. Well, let's get into this week's Good Vibes. The first story comes from Delta Airlines, which made headlines recently with a staggering $1.4 billion bonus for its employees, which nearly doubles the bonus from last year. Delta has been known for doing this in the past. They are very passionate about reinvesting in their employees, a profit-sharing program, which really aims to rectify injustices by distributing wealth more equitably amongst its workforce. So it's definitely a leader in the industry in this regard. Yes, yes. I do have to say that I'm a little bias because I do love Delta <laughs> and I'm very, very loyal, but I can tell by, you know, how um, helpful their employees are, the diversity that they have in their employees. Every time I get on a plane, I think, wow, like it, there's so many different people represented in their workforce. And so uh, it seems like this is one of those companies that puts their, their talk into action. They walk the mm -hmm. walk and, you know, airlines started doubling, tripling prices of flights, you know, once COVID started dying down. And it seems like they're not just taking those profits and, you know, putting it in the hands of the already rich, but they're, you know, putting it into hands of the employees who actually need it. And so maybe capitalism in a, a good way, I guess. I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. But um <laughs> But uh, it seems like they're using the funds in a good way, which is uh, great that they're giving it back to their employees. Catherine, that should be the subtitle of this show, is capitalism in a good way. <laughs> right? Oxymoron? <laughs> it, you know what? It shouldn't be. It doesn't have to be. <laughs> All right. Um, great. Well, the next second story this week is about the uh, four-day workweek trial in the UK, which was the world's largest four-day workweek trial last year. Um, it yielded lower stress and higher job satisfaction. All of that initially stunned skeptics. But over a year later, 60 companies are still embracing the concept and 89% of the companies from the trial are still operating over four days. So, you know, we were talking on the show about how we, uh, <laughs> how a three-day <laughs> weekend sounds great every weekend. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is great. We need to see more folks and more organizations allowing this kind of flexibility. Yeah, I, I love that they were just willing to do the study in general. You know, it really mm -hmm. takes open-mindedness and willingness to maybe get something wrong or right or just the unknown, um, which a lot of countries are not open to. 
So I really uh, applaud them for that. And you're right, right before the call, I didn't even <laughs> realize we were talking about the four day work week. And I was like, I need another day. <laughs> um, and it always feels like that. But I do think maybe once we get that extra day, then we'll need another day and another day. <laughs> it will be a one day work week. But I really do uh, applaud them for that. And I think that it's uh, phenomenal. I can see how it could relieve stress. And actually this week is Employee Appreciation Week and I'm giving my employees like the last day of the week off. And, you know, it just shows that that's what people are looking for. And they're looking for that extra time with their family and friends or themselves, you know, whatever makes them happy and helps them rejuvenate. Uh, 73% of folks are caregivers and it really does matter to folks like that in particular, right? So absolutely. And self-care, of course. Yes, yes. (laughs) Something I'm trying (laughs) to into, <laughs> which I'm very late to the game, obviously. But, Better late uh, than never. So if anybody has any tips on some self-care, then let me know, please. Yes, tips on self-care. Drop them in the comments on LinkedIn. All right, folks. Uh, the, the third story this week is about Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey, which I love this story. It's founded by CEO Fawn Weaver became the top-selling Black-owned spirits brand globally, valued at $900 million, led by a Black woman in an industry dominated by white men, named after the first known African-American master distiller, Nearest Green. And she's keeping her company. She is going to acquire other companies. She's not going to sell out to a white brand. And she is keeping that legacy alive. And that's what I love about this story. I love it. Talk about generational wealth and uh, female wealth. I, black female wealth. <laughs> I love it all. Um, I was actually at a chief event, chief organization for executive women uh, last week, and they uh, had this uh, whiskey available. And they were making old fashions for everyone. And so it's really just everywhere you look. Uh, this brand is everywhere. And we're so happy and honored to um, to uplift her brand and her and everything that she's doing. And just for other you know, young women to look and see, yeah, I can do that too. You know, it's, it's the one type of person and I see it transitioning from every industry is, you know, I, not that I can't be vice president or, you know, a teacher or go to space or, you know, be in the Olympics or whatever it is, you can have your own distillery as well. So um, I love seeing that. Exactly. I love, it was so, that's so well said that I absolutely agree. The possibility models, the inspiration, all of it. So good. All right. Well, the fourth story this week is from uh, is about Black churches in Florida. So in defiance of Florida's restrictive education laws, nearly 300 churches are spearheading Black history lessons. So this is led by Faith in Florida, a grassroots initiative that's combating Ron, Governor Ron DeSantis's push to limit race-inclusive education. So there's an online toolkit, resources with books and documentaries, which is preserving Black heritage and countering erasure, reviving a tradition of social justice activism in the church. Sometimes we just got to take the power back, right? <laughs> take the control back. Yes, there's so much there. I First, Florida, which... <laughs> I, I just can't, um, but also, um, you know, this church is just, you're right. Sometimes you just have to do it yourself. And that disappoints me in that haven't we, you know, moved on, haven't, 
I don't know. It seems like we take steps back continuously. And this is one of those where it shouldn't have to be churches to talk about Black history. It just baffles me. And also um, integrating religion with, you know, teaching is also that could be an issue for some students and some families. And so you have to think about it from so many different angles. Um, and I just wish it wasn't so politicized. I mean, I can wish a lot of things, but at least it's being taught and we can't let it get lost in any way. And so I'm glad that they're taking it upon themselves to do it. Are they? I didn't notice this. So they are having some religious component to the education, the toolkits as well. Is that part of it? Oh, no, just uh, having a church. Okay, got it. Deliver the message. Uh, You know, if you have a student who's Catholic and it's a Baptist church or, you know, Methodist church, and just thinking about all the different religions that there are. And, um, you know, Black history isn't just, you know, one religion or a religion. Of course. At all. So um, there's a conflict there as well. So you got, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, it is unfortunate that that's sort of what we've come to. This show is about hope, so I know that that's not the end of the story. Um, and of course, when things change in Florida, you can definitely expect to hear about it on Five Things. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so the last story this week is from Starbucks, which just rolled out a fresh store design prioritizing accessibility and inclusion in DC's union market. So this store has power operated doors, lowered counters for wheelchair users, voice assist checkout, a revamped brewing system with tactile feedback for employees, digital boards with improved lighting and insulation to make things less sensory stimulating. And they've made the design open source so that other retail stores can take and use those ideas. And they're planning to roll this out to other stores across the world. So props to Starbucks. Yeah. uh, And that store is right across the street. So I guess after this, I'm going to have to go check it out and see what's happening. Um, I, for the past few years, have been a skeptic of Starbucks and actually haven't been to the store. Um, I am very, uh, I mean, it's amazing that they're making these stores accessible. I think the disability community is often left out when it comes to DEI. And I love that this is at the forefront of what they're doing. And I hope that it happens in more than, you know, three stores that they have planned. I'm sure it will. And I'm sure it'll mm-hmm. go over extremely well. I know that this community, uh, the community I live in, there are a lot of people um, with disabilities. And so I'm sure that they will be, you know, very happy that the store opened. It must have just opened or I must, I need to get out more because <laughs> like, <laughs> I had no idea, but uh, very, very, very happy that this is happening. I hope other uh, stores, you know, follow and uh, that they take on what Starbucks is doing. Absolutely. And of course, You'll hear about those in five things as well. All right. (laughs) Catherine, it has been an absolute pleasure getting your wisdom and having you on this week's show. How can folks get in touch with you? Sure. So our website is just thebettertogether.agency. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Catherine Montgomery. Uh, And remember, it's C-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E, so spelled a little bit differently. Uh, But I look forward to connecting. Awesome. And we'll make sure that 
gets in the show notes along with your LinkedIn profile. Folks, this week's call to action is to check out the TV show Bet on Black, which you can see on Paramount Plus streaming. It's like Shark Tank, but for Black entrepreneurs, you might need to get yourself on the next season of that, Catherine. Target's a big sponsor. One of their employees was a judge. It's a great show. Our client gift supplier was on the most recent season and did very well. So I encourage you to check them out and also buy Tubby's Tubby's Taste Cookies, which are delicious. Um, So folks, check out Bet on Black on Paramount Plus. At the end of Black History Month, it's a great way to get some some, uh, positive uplift. All right, folks, thank you so much for joining. Catherine, thank you for being an awesome guest. And if you don't already get the Five Things newsletter, you can subscribe at fivethingsdei.com. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to Five Things in 15 Minutes. I hope you found yourself inspired by at least one of this week's stories. If you did, would you mind sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform? And if you don't already get my Five Things newsletter, join at fivethingsdei.com. I'm Bernadette Smith, and I'll see you next week right here for Five Things in 15 Minutes, bringing good vibes to DEI.